Ghetto silence outside, I think it's going down I hear those sirens outside, I think it's going down I hear those sirens outside, I think it's going down I'm from Richmond, you probably never heard of me Once one of those capitals where those murders be Armed robbery, home burglary Funerals and ERs full of gun surgeries Hunting barbershops and everybody nice Shout out to Chuck and Jacob, they kept a nigga slice Shout out to Karina, what you do with rice Curry chicken and cabbage, I pray over it twice Back with Sunnies was on the right Two weeks early to get the mics flashy Fly little nigga knows he missed from the corner like Why little nigga? Trick please, twist the trees Took a long pull like Mr. Breathe Memphis bleak answers, life still like cancer And I'm still serious, Fido still in the slammer Sending me lyrics, J-Pay with the camera I hope it lift up his spirits so Michael Millions, glad we're able to catch up and, and, and rock this interview. I got to ask though, before we start, are you sideways or sh- like, should I also be sideways or are you, are you sitting upright? Like what's your angle right now? <laughs> yeah, I'm always sideways, always <laughs> sideways. No, I'm joking. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. So how did that start? You know, looking at, you know, with Ghost of $20 Bills, that really started your album covers having this theme of you um, rotated 90 degrees um, with like an up close portrait. How did, how did you start that um, aesthetic? Um, it actually, um, we were working on cover material uh, for ghost of $20 bills. And we had shot a couple of ideas. Um, at the time I was working with Arnold Yoon from uh, uncle and profit. And we had, just shot the idea. We really liked the idea of me. That the 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 premise was, you know, that particular album was like it's called Ghost to Twenty Dollar Bills, but it's like the premise of it I felt like is a lot of people place their dreams and hopes around money and, you know, uh they're not really looking at the big picture sometimes and a lot of times they just give up in their process. And what happens is, you know, a lot of people just grow up and they deal with the ghost of their dreams uh, that they had when they were younger um, that, you know, that was, you know, pretty much based on dollar bills for real. And so we kind of took this position of, you know, me being dead on the album cover, right? And so the position in which I would lay in a casket um, is that's kind of why the the image got hit sideways. And so if the image that goes to $20 bill image is supposed to represent me laying on a whole bunch of money dead, kind of. Um, but that's kind of how it started with, with the rotation um, of that image. So that's where it started. Um, however, when we put it out, I think just people looked at it and it was like, Damn, that's crazy. Why the hell did he put his why why would somebody do that? And uh at the time when we put it out in two thousand what fourteen, um, 
you know, that was blog era, um, you know, those time, that time frame. So it was like, I think, shoot, I put that album out with no promo, like not one video had dropped from it. Um, I had only made reference of an album being worked on, but never told anybody when I was dropping it. Maybe a month prior, Beyonce dropped her album uh, out of the blue. And, uh, you know, it did really well. So I'm like, you know, you know what? I could do that. You know, I think I'm at the point here locally where if I flash a project on someone, uh, they'll respect it. So I put that project out. And for four days, I didn't hear anything. Like, it was like a tree fell in the woods. I worked on this project for like a year, and like a tree fell in the woods. And um, so about maybe the fifth day goes by, and um, I get a call from my homie Arnold. He's like, yo, everyone really loves your album. I think they're going to start writing on it. And I was like, what are you talking about? He was just, he just like, he was like, stay by your phone. And then he hung the phone up and maybe 20, maybe, maybe even less, um, out of nowhere, the blog started like picking it up and it was like this chain reaction of like, you know, this, this, it was just like a chain reaction of like all the major blogs kind of picking it up that same day as if they had just discovered it. And it was like, Everyone was like, oh, shit, yo, wow, this is great, this is great. You know, after, like, uh, I think uh, Miss Info may have posted it first. And then from there, it kind of just trickled down, like, the whole blog scene. And, um, yeah, but the main, I said all of that because it didn't have any advertising. It didn't have any singles released. Well, it had a couple of singles released, but nothing, nothing major. And uh, but for one of the main things I thought that that helped it go viral initially was the artwork because that was pretty much all the package came with. So I don't know. I I thought the artwork itself drove um, or it spoke to people somehow, resonated with some people somehow, and you know it just made it worth the listen. And I think when people clicked on it, it just was like boom. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the long story of like you know why it's remained sideways it's just something that i think worked and so i kept it going um another interesting thing about my covers is we shoot them in 35 millimeter film um but not like a high crazy camera we actually shoot those items on like disposable cameras from uh walgreens and um yeah so it's real film, so we edit the film, and it goes to twenty dollar bills cover. So that's that's a real picture. Like we, you know, everything is manual, you know. So it's like it's like going the long way to produce like a normal image. So it's like on the ghost of twenty dollar bills cover, we take that picture, but that border of that cover was actually made out of lotto tickets, and so they like make that border and lay that out and take a picture of that, and then we put text on top of that. Um, and we did that for Beautiful, and we also did that for Hard to Be King. All of my covers since uh, Ghost of Twenty Dollar Bills are manual covers that we kind of like do an art project on, and then take a picture, then put that cover out. So, <laughs> so 
Sorry for the long-windedness, but yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, that's an incredible process that I would have had no idea about had you not gone into that detail. So what happens to the covers, like, once once you shoot it and once it's done? I mean, do you just have them, like, around your house? Like, what do you do with them? Um, Once we shoot them, I mean, it, it, it is a process. I mean, we, we get an idea. We shoot it. Um, then we go, you know, we, we, we go develop the film. So that's like a process. Like we go wait maybe an hour, two hours, process the film. Uh, then we look at what we got, you know, see if we got a shot, you know, cause you know, with the, you know, obviously with disposable cameras, you gotta, you don't even know you can take 27 hits and you don't know if you got like the one. So sometimes we, Run through a whole roller camera, and we don't get that one shot. We go get another camera and try again. But it's that, so we get that, and it's really, it's really that's really the process. And then, what do we do with them? Um, once we done with them, I mean, I don't know. We I don't know. I guess everything kind of gets put away, like scrapped in a way, and then we take the picture. And um, so I've had people, um, my brother some years back um made a made this big art um poster for me i mean an art thing for me where he had all my albums cover printed out and framed up but i don't know you know uh yeah i got i mean especially with this new album a lot of people have like redrawn the cover you know done a lot of artwork with it so it's a lot of art that is inspired by my cover art. And that was probably another thing that uh, I noticed um, with the cover art. Is it, it just inspired more art from, like, artists. Or I, I would see people emulating the covers or, like, you know, it just became a conversation piece ever since Ghost. I, I don't... Such a simple-looking cover made... I think made a huge impact um at one point and then like i said it was like wow what's up with this cover people listen to the music and they're like oh shoot like wow this was really crazy what a great surprise and now i'm hit to mike so so yeah that's um yeah but yeah when when we're done with them shoot we i guess we kind of we will get them printed out maybe in posters and stuff like that but outside of that I guess it comes becomes like scrap material to a larger art project. <laughs> no doubt. I mean, I feel like too your the images on the cover definitely kind of give the listener a preview of the overall mood of the album because I feel like the mood of the albums, you know, you're you're good at being really consistent throughout the album of maintaining certain feelings and moods and themes. Do you feel like mm -hmm. those covers are almost a preview of what you're going to get? Yeah, I I do. I do feel like they they've been able to tell their own story in a way. Being that I've been keeping them consistent, this is the third project that I did where I have my cover that way. They they kind of do have their own stories. So you have, like, Ghost of $20 Bills where I'm telling the story of, like, I'm telling, you know, it started out, well, let me back up. Ghost of $20 Bills started out as one album. I get a call from a friend of mine that's, like, going to go to jail for a really long time. And it kind of changes the course of that album. Actually, just changes the course of my artistry because it's like, oh man, wow, like what a what a crazy life where these things happen. And I ended up writing most of Ghost to Twenty Dollar Bills 
from the reference point of a, of a friend of mine that was going to jail, and I was just kind of documenting some of the things that were going on and some of the aspects of his life and, like, you know, putting music to it. Um, but, yeah, it kind of gives you this. And it was a darker album for sure. And then when I gave people Beautiful, I'm sideways on the cover, I'm smiling, and it was more like a beautiful hip-hop album where I'm just like, just rapping, giving you uh, not really complete songs and just really good vibes. It's kind of one of those albums to me that you walk away from just feeling like, wow, I'm glad I listened to that. Um, and Beautiful was intended to be like an EP, but with you know, then when you when you get to like hard to be king, it's like it's more like the 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 expression of my face is like numb a little. It's the expression is a little not tired, but like more aware, more more like I've been in this been in this position a little while, and you know I've been this particular person in my city a little while, and you know these people call me king and they call me this and they call me that but my name is like mike and y'all and i i do live a real life and i do go through things but y'all think i'm king but i'm really just regular working like trying to figure it out so it's like you know that's kind of like my facial expression is like it's hard to be king even though y'all call me that this is my perspective on life let me let me see if that if y'all still want this perspective, you know, would y'all still want this life or would you still want to walk in my shoes after hearing some of the things I talk about? Um, yeah, so that's kind of like, that's, that, that's kind of the covers end up kind of telling you how I'm feeling, but I think the graininess of the imagery and the way we shoot my expressions, it, it, it sends this level of authenticity or at least a stamp of authenticity to the music, I think. Um, I, I think just people feel like they're looking at something real and they get something real and they like listen to the music. Um, so, yeah, that's the that's the story. That's the cover spiel. <laughs> and I mean, you look at it at um, Hard to Be King, and you know you're, you're talking about this like I'm a regular person. I mean, you start off siren saying I'm from Richmond. You probably never heard of me. And I mean, that's a pretty mm -hmm. powerful way to start an album. Yeah, yeah. They're very um, intentional. Um, and actually, that was probably one of the last records I recorded for the album. And um, my cousin, uh, my cousin Jordan, told me, he came over messing with my iTunes, fumbled up the track order. And um, when we listened to, I couldn't remember the exact track order. When I went back to listen to the music as it was, it was like perfect. It was like a beautiful mistake. And um, Sirens ended up being the number one song. And we felt like that was no better way than to open up an album with just, you know, telling people, you know, you know who I am, you know where I'm from, but let's treat it as if you don't know me and you don't know where I'm from. How would that look? What would that sound like? What would that process? What would that look like to the to the person that doesn't know you? And um, then I was like, "Well, with me, uh, I do a lot for Richmond, but 
I'm not selfish. You know, I'm I'm one of those guys where, you know, I'll, I'll accept my credit when you know when it's due, but you know, I'm not I'm not doing things for credit. So it's one of those. Even in lyrically, is where you know this is the title of my album where, you know, I'm supposed to essentially tell you about myself and give you my reasons for you to listen to the rest of the album. And I simply just tell you about where I'm from or what what it feels like here um, without mentioning my name at all, you know, who I am at all. Like, I just basically, like you said, I, I say I'm from Richmond. You probably never heard of me. But me wasn't even me. Um, I'm really saying me, like, I'm from Richmond. You probably never heard of Richmond. But you probably have, but you know, let me let me paint this picture for you and and it's just been a record for sure that's um that, that particular record resonated it just resonates with people. Um when I say the gas stations are the stores here, you know, these people like, you know, we don't have corner stores, we got gas stations that we like frequent in our neighborhoods and in our communities that like are like our corner stores. So I think you know, I said certain things in that record that I think Richmond people are just like, yo, I, I really appreciate how you, like, lay things out for us and lay things out for the people. But, but yeah. No doubt. I mean, I, I feel like, you know, you address a lot of issues that really face Richmond, too, like that are unique to Richmond in ways. Like, you, you talk about Monument Ave., and the statues on brown sugar saying like, we've got statues with losers on them, you know, like, mm -hmm. you know, I'm in Charlottesville and I've been, I've been in Charlottesville for since 2002. And so like, I have a lot of familiarity and, and a lot of knowledge about what you're going through and what Charlottesville has gone through, you know, what's that like coming from Richmond and knowing what you know about the city and dealing with things like monument Ave and knowing like that, you know, after after August twelfth in Charlottesville, you know Richmond had their own white supremacy rallies, and and you know, what's that yeah, like? Yeah, I mean, it just shoot, man. It's being from here. You know, Richmond has always been such a eye opening place. Like, you know, you grow up here, and you like, you know, it's one thing where you know I'm old enough to realize to recognize the old Richmond where you know, it was the murder capital and, you know, Richmond looked different. It felt different. Um, it wasn't as safe as it is now. And now that it's a bit more safe and we're not focused on, you know, whether we're going to go outside and crime is going to strike us. I think as adults, we're focused on, you know, why is Richmond the way it is? Why, why don't we have the financial resources that, other big cities have or why aren't artists here thriving um why aren't people here thriving and you go a deeper layer and you you know you you almost forget that you're at the top of the confederacy but you know because you live in it but you know when you realize that your very life in the moment is impacted by the fact that you live in the top of the confederacy kind of changes things um so being in Richmond, you know, we didn't have these outlets like we have now. Like there was a time where they wouldn't even allow hip hop artists like myself or Radio B or Nicholas F or the Mad Skills. You know, they weren't like having us 
at these shows. They weren't, they weren't like, they, you know, it was, it was a time in Richmond where venues would clearly just say no rap, you know, and we would have to really fight to break down doors to like performing venues here. Um, race tensions here has all, always been crazy, always been crazy. But I think now everybody is just like tired of it. It's like, okay, we're all caught up on like where we are. And history is like just being African-Americans and African-Americans in Richmond. But now we're like, wait, why are we like, why are we like focusing on more like good people in our city? Why, how did we get these monuments of these essentially figures in history that lost a war, you know, and we're like, you know, it kind of, it just kind of sits with you. Like, what does that, do, what does that do to our psychology, you know, as just humans or that live in Richmond? Like you have to, you know, there are no symbols of true greatness around. Um, I'm not going to say none, but I mean, on Monument Avenue, there are no, true symbols of greatness there. So our, you know, we grow up, you know, going to field trips, looking at these essentially losers that, that have statues, you know, like what, you know, what, what does that do to your mind? You know, and I, I think that's kind of the thing that I've been stuck on. And then you realize places like Charlottesville after that time frame, y'all had those issues up there it trickled down to here and it really, you know, for us, it was really nothing new, but we knew, I think we knew we could, you know, handle the, 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 the initial pressure of it. But we, you know, even today, I, I still don't understand why people don't just, Hey, let's, let's get a piece of land or, or a graveyard or something. And let's move all of these, like, you know, disrespectful monuments that people just really don't care about. Let's move them all in one place and, you know, you can make it a historical thing. You know, you can make a field trip out of that. And, like, let's put up some cool people, you know, um, so that our city, you know, in general has people to, like, look up to literally that that um, made a difference here. Um, yeah, so, you know, it's Richmond, yo. It's, it's a racist, wild place, too. But I don't want to say over, over say that, but it's like, you know, it's definitely, like, you know, down Shaco Bottom is where they, they brought slaves in. But, you know, down there when we growing up, man, that's where they put all the clubs and you know, there's a lot of violence down there. A lot of crazy things would happen down down in the bottom. But like like I said, most a lot of African Americans in Richmond or I guess over the last, you know, decade or twenty years or so, we we essentially partied and, you know, drove the streets and walked the streets the same streets like our ancestors essentially were like sold on. And um, I don't know what that energy or what that does to the psychology either. Just, just knowing about these things and the energy and the places. But I think at this point in Richmond, everybody's like, you know, waking up to the fact that, Hey, this isn't, you know, this is a city. It's an inclusive city. There's so many cultures here. You know, we should, you know, at this point, we need to get with the program and start representing all of these cultures that we have in Richmond versus, like, this loser culture that we idolize, you know. That's my, that's just my stance on it. <laughs> but, yeah. um, I mean, I'm with yeah, you on that. And, you know, I think 
so much has been made of movements like Black Lives Matter being, quote, you know, anti-patriotic and against America, which, you know, I wholeheartedly disagree with. At the same time, the actual people who really were treasonous against America are being idolized in your city. Like they're not just losers, but they're, you know, went against the United States. Like they were enemies of the United States and now they're memorialized. Right. And, and that's, yeah, that's like what it, I mean, you know, I don't know, you know, I mean, you know, being African American, I'm like, Oh man, what's up with this? But, you know, I think if I was another nationality or had another background, I would be, Possibly asking the same questions, like, why, you know, why are these our examples? Like, if we had no internet and everybody had to move off the examples that were, you know, uplifted in their cities, wow, what kind of city would Richmond be if we only had, you know, these <laughs> losers to look up to, you know? I don't, you know, I just, I just wonder how that's affected us. Maybe in the long term, maybe we'll know, like, Hopefully there's a study, you know, even going on about, you know, what the effects of this is on, on, on us as a people. What is it, you know, what, what have we, I don't know. What if, you know, what if we absorb, what if we not, what if we, um, what's the word I'm looking for? What if we endured? What if we accepted, you know, what are, what are, what are these things that we have just conditioned ourselves for and we just, not know it because you know this is where we are so i don't know it's just i don't know so it's hard to wrap my brain around it but i hope you know i hope they're in the process of taking these things down because i'm sure they're tired of people like defacing them every week yeah no they just need to come down and go away you know looking too at richmond it seems like over the past you know decade at least probably even longer that gentrification has definitely been a force within the city. And I mean, just recently, you know, got a new Wawa, which is great. But again, it's more chains and more gentrification happening around the city. Like what, what's your take on that? And, and how have you seen gentrification hitting Richmond? Um, I'm, I'm 50, 50 about the gentrification thing. Um, because, we had, you know, we have neighborhoods in Richmond that like were really not doing that great, you know. Um, and then you, then you have developers come in and they're like, you know, we're tired of seeing these like trashed out buildings or these trashed out neighborhoods. And like one person comes and buys a house, flips the house, you know, he gets another house, flips that house, and then you realize, you know, one person is like restored one block. And then, like, another person comes in and does the same thing. And then, you know, there's a bunch of people, like, restoring this one area. And this one area I'm talking about, you know, giving you an example of, is called Church Hill. Church Hill was, like, wild as hell. Like, but growing up, I mean, like, definitely a wild place to live. Um, you know, but thanks to just people wanting to see it improve, you know, come in fix up the homes, bring people in, um, you know, and, and revive like a whole neighborhood or area, you know, I don't know if that's a bad thing. And then, and then the thing, uh, I think one thing that's a sensitive topic, you know, of course that, you know, this gentrification thing, of course is wrapped up in like subtle racism, of course, but here's the flip in Richmond. 
it's not just you know white developers coming in. It's African. It's a lot of African American developers coming in as well, and buying up and changing the landscape as well. But you know when we come in and we have those conversations about it, now we're like, oh wait, is that gentrification too? Because you know, there's an African American developing group that's like buying up the block and you know putting corner stores and coffee shops up. Are we supposed to say that's gentrified too? Or which you know, sense about you know, yeah, things are changing in Richmond super fast. But you know, you know, talking to like some of my real estate friends that are like buying up Richmond. You know, they you know they laugh at the gentrification talk more so because they're like, well, is it gentrification if it's black people doing it and like, you know, redeveloping zones and you know starting up new businesses, kind of like Nipsey hustling the type of the neighborhoods away. But like instead of sometimes, I mean, a lot of times what happens is in these neighborhoods, of course, the African African American neighborhoods, but the older people that live there or the people that live there are not making the income or they're not making the money or they just have neglected their space to the point where they have to like face eviction out of most of these, most of these spots or they have to repair them, you know, because they're like literally going to fall down. And a lot of these people just give up their property. You know, they're like, wait, we can't even afford it. We can't afford to fix it and we have to leave it. So here's somebody coming on our street making us an offer for our home that is, you know, that, you know, we surely can't get enough money for. And these people take the money and they take the opportunity and they give up the house. Um, you know, so that's kind of one thing that's happening here with the, with that. But then you do have, you know, of course, VCU buying up a lot of our downtown. So that's changed the landscape quite a bit. However, it's much safer. You know, so like back in the day around VCU, you wasn't hanging out at Jackson Ward. You wasn't hanging out on Broad Street. You wasn't really hanging out on uh, Gray Street. You know, you weren't hanging out on these surrounding areas around VCU. You you know, it just wasn't happening. White people now are like walking their dogs and taking like, you know, walks at night on in in Jackson Ward and I you know, I can drive through Church Hill right now and I'm sure there's gonna be like a white lady outside jogging with her dog up the street. But these are things that like you would never see happening growing up in the nineties and the early two thousand. It just you know, you just it just wasn't safe. And um so now I, you know, because of certain changes in not in our city you know, it's safe for us. Um, I'll take my daughter. I could take her downtown with me to, like, walk around and go to places to eat and, you know, enjoy some of the culture, the art stuff that we have here. But prior to that, hell no, man. I, I would never. If, if Richmond was the way it was back then, I'd, I'd never take my daughter downtown, you know, because it just wasn't safe, you know. So, but now, it's, you know, some of the things are happening like, are cool you you know i think we just have as a people just have to have a larger perspective on like what's actually happening you know um and then you know is it for the better or is it or is it harmful so it's a little bit of both going on but you know i think all cities got to grow at some point so that's just my take on it (laughs) no doubt and you've definitely seen richmond you know over time and one of the cool things about you being in richmond and growing up there is that 
guys you grew up with and went to high school like Radio B, you know, you're still cool with and still making music with. Mm-hmm. So what's yeah, that? For sure. So what's that been like being able to grow with some of the same people and really see the Richmond scene develop the way you have? Um. Well, yeah, like me, Radio Nick, we've grown up together, but we all, I mean. Me and Radio were, you know, we found out in the same group. You know, there were a lot of groups in Richmond, like entities that were doing music in Richmond. And um, I think, you know, being able to do music this long in the city and um, do it with the people that I've been um, making music with all these years, I mean, definitely been a, uh, a blessing because I don't think a lot of people stay in it that long and you know you know even though like when i was younger it was a thousand more people i was like probably rolling with um but like at this point you know it's like you know a lot of people fall off they never they don't chase that dream or they never get any type of pat on the back for their work and so it, it kills their motivation to go on and like you know down the line you know people get families they get married they get a job you know and that's that becomes their main focus. While, you know, maybe others of us, you know, we we we, you know, we do stuff and we'll get pats on the backs and big looks and things that keep us motivated to drop things, you know, over and over and keep us in the game and, um, you know, motivated to stay in the game. So yeah, Nas definitely been. At this point, it's like shoot. If you've made it here, it's like you know you can make it anywhere. It's like you're like. Richmond is just one of those, you know, you just know how many people stopped doing what you were doing. And, you know, it's only, you know, when I look at it now, it's not, it's a few of us, you know, in respect to how many, you know, we really started with. Me and Radio Start, it's just the two of us, but we started out in a crew of like 15, you know, so like. You talking about the burglars? The, excuse me? Are you talking about the burglars? Nah, that was see, and that was going on while I was signed to another record label. I was signed to a label called Downland when I was seventeen, and like when the burglars were growing, I was signed to a label, and we all were friends. Of course, me, Nick, but we were all friends. We just at the time, me, Nick, and Radio hadn't come together. You know, we were still going through different little situations as younger young younger kids trying to figure out our past but yeah nah not the burglars i was actually signed to a label called Downland, and um yeah so i was there but it was just so many other artists um you know too many name to name but you know the artists that are here active present in richmond i mean they definitely helped the scene and i think you know all the artists that, that are on the scene now will be here for a while i mean we've all made necessary contributions to like the hip hop, whether it was here or abroad, you know, we are definitely making those con con contributive efforts to the game at this point. So it's, it's, it's more fulfilling, you know, for sure. And you said like when you first came in, you were with like 15 other dudes. How many, how many are still really doing it and how many have kind of moved on to, other careers and other ideas and, and not even involved at all. Shoot. I mean, of those 15 dudes, I think only 13 of us are actually active artists. 
um, of the 15 that started out that me and radio started in them. So it'd be me, him, another artist named Joey Gallo. We had this bigger entity called Black Money Entertainment when we were all younger. And it was it was a big crew, like Wu-Tang almost, and we all just rapped really good. And, you know, just, you know, but that's how it is. There were crews all over the place. Like the Burglars had maybe about five or six folks. And of that crew, it's only like one person. You know, Nick is the only person still active from that. Um, the record label I was signed to, I'm the only artist currently that, you know, that was signed to that label that's still an active artist today. Um, so, it, you know, it, you know, it's a lot. Richmond has seen a cycle of artists. And I imagine every city sees a cycle of artists. But, uh, you know, we just kind of the ones that have been through all the eras and still remain that, you know, we still remain active, still remain relevant. You know, we were able to, we're able to keep our relevancy in the space. So, yeah, it's a lot of people, man. I, I know so many artists that that have just, you know, I, I, they don't even go by their artist names anymore. You know, it's been so long since they recorded. It's just, just one of those things, man. I think it's just one of those things. You know, not everybody's gonna be. Not everybody's going to stick with you for the long haul. Only a, only a few of us will. So I, I learned, someone told me that uh, um, a long time ago. They were just like, you know, you know, you know, most of you, someone said in a meeting we had, somebody was like, in 10 years, most of you guys aren't even going to be rapping. And I'm like, hell no, man, I love this. And that person was right. You know, I realized like the majority of my friends that was I started with, they they haven't been to a studio in years, you know. So at this point, so it's like, wow. <laughs> no doubt. So do you, I mean, not only loving it, but do you feel like like it's your calling that this is something that you need to be doing and getting out there? Absolutely. Um, yeah, without doubt. Um, without doubt, um, I've had like a really interesting musical run. You know, even to today, you know, even down to now, the things that happen to me or for me musically um, are are special and unique. You know, I think it's, I think it's just, if I was supposed to be doing anything else, um, I'd be shocked, you know, because of just how my life has gone. Um, it's almost like I've never, well, I've never been good at anything else. Anything else I've ever tried to put focus or energy in, it never really like gave me any like thumbs up or fulfillment. It kind of just kind of was just there. Like I, I went to college, I went to school, went to college. I, I had a job, you know, I did all those things that like they tell you you're supposed to do, but it was to really, nothing you know it wasn't really pulling at my heart the way music was and you know you get a job and you you know do all these things but then you know it's not a, it's not rewarding i could do i can write one verse or one song that you know opens up doors that you know i dream about you know and i don't you know i i see i know artists that write their hearts out and work really hard on music and they put music out and they, no one listens to it or they, you know, they don't, they don't connect. It doesn't resonate with people. And, um, 
I don't know, you know, I, I'm just blessed that my music is able to do what it does without me having to put any strenuous effort. It's really like the path of least resistance for me. So like I can do if I put a I could put a lot of energy into something else and that'll only get me this. But if I put a I could put just a sprinkle of energy into music and doors fly open. And I've seen it happen over my career. I've seen it happen every day, you know, even down to talking to you right now. You know, I was listening to Radio's interview, and I'm texting him, telling him, yo, it's a great interview. And I go to Twitter, and there you are, like, hey, man, we just did this. And, you know, and I'm like, wow, what, that's crazy. Like, you know, that's a crazy thing that happens. It's crazy because I'm, I imagine a ton of artists that don't, do any interviews or they don't get asked to do interviews. Um, no one talks to them. You know, I, I just think about the opportunities, large and small, that, that, that come to me and are, you know, for me, you know, uh, working a job or doing anything else I was doing wasn't bringing me, wasn't fulfillment. So um, I just think about it. Like, again, so I think about the things that happen to me, the things I, I get to do as a, you know, with my talents, and I'm like, wow, this is exactly what I was supposed to be doing with my life. Look at, look at the doors that open. Look how happy it makes me. And you know, so I just kind of look at it from that standpoint. But yeah, 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 definitely, I definitely put on this earth to make music. I don't, I don't know what else I was here for. <laughs> no doubt. And so, like, switching gears to from that, you know, you look at "Hard to Be King" and you talk about death, and death is female in the song. And is that is that how you envision death like i'm curious as to that that creative decision there because most of the time we conceptualize death as male um yo i i do that you know i um some people you know we do that as humans we we've you know put sexuality on even, you know, our spiritual, we don't know if God is a woman or a man. You know, we don't know if God is, you know, we don't know if uh, death is woman or a man, but we apply these male concepts. You know, we, you know, I guess it's just, you know, misogyny, you know, male, male stuff, like where we just think like, oh, this type of power of life and death must belong to something powerful and we automatically deem ourselves as males as powerful but you know that's your course could be a twisted view of you know what we have been taught so you know i think of and this might be a little off subject but i sometimes i think about as men we we rely on like hardcore facts we're not really into detail we're more into like a and b eight one plus one equals two um, I think women are just, you know, obviously more detailed by nature. Um, um, and thinking about the, you know, creation of Earth and the level of detail involved with every single living organism on this Earth, whether it's a blade of grass or a fish or a deer or a human or a plant, you know, the level of detail in the creation of all of this, I often wonder 
could could a man would a man have put this much detail into everything and i think sometimes it just makes me think you know god could be a female energy could be um and you know death is just such a crazy process in itself um you know it also it just also makes me think it's a it could be a female energy too um but but as a lyricist flirting with those ideas you know, it's like the taboo way of thinking, you know, it's like taboo to say like, oh, you know, if I met God, I would tell her, you know, you'd be like, whoa, did you just call God a woman? Like, it's kind of taboo, you know, still in our culture to kind of like think that way or like, you know, we say we flirt with death, but like, will we flirt with death if death was a male? No. You know, we flirt with death because we somehow have this attachment to it um then we then we like say like life's a bitch you know what i mean and that's obviously female you know what i mean that you know the way we look at it so a lot of our aspect you know that we kind of our outlook on it is actually female so i think but we but when we're talking about it or writing it down we kind of take this masculine approach to to the earth and you know, it's really a lot of, there's a feminine approach to it that we, you know, inter, that's interchangeable. I don't know if I said that right, but like we'll say Mother Earth or Mother Nature or life's a bitch, you know what I mean? But like the reaper is a male and God is a male, but I don't know, you know, so I just kind of toy with like lyrically just, you know, the ideas just saying like open up your mind a little bit and, you know, this is the way we, you know, you can talk about it like this. It doesn't matter. Uh, you know, so that's kind of like, that's that's pretty much it. I don't know if I made any sense with that, but I feel like, I just kind of feel like I toy with those other sides, you know, with, um, you know, I do, and I do that too when I talk about, I don't, I don't really talk about religion, but I, I, I talk about the devil too. I don't know if people like really pick up on that, but like, I make reference to the devil as if, you know, as if he's gotten like a bad rap. You know what I mean? I do things like that lyrically just to kind of make people think um, about what they think about or what they're aware of, you know? So it's kind of, it gets weird, but it's kind of like a play on like what we believe in. So no, I, I hope that answers your question. <laughs> to totally. And I think it's so important to challenge these constructs, especially because hip-hop isn't always known for being the most socially progressive form of music. Right, right. You know, and so, I, I mean, I do think that that's important to, to do that and to, to look at that be, um, just based on some of the stuff that's still in hip-hop music that we know as a society probably shouldn't be. You know, whether mm -hmm. it's the homophobia or, you know, transphobia or anything like that you know, is still somewhat accepted in the music that we know wouldn't really be accepted in a larger society or larger place in society. Yeah, no, I agree. And, you know, going, going to a song like Happy, you know, you're talking about, you know, your friend who quits a, a steady job, you know, $60,000 salary to focus on music and, you know, someone getting laid off and, and told, you know, to be, you know, happy about it and, and really making the best of situations and following your dreams, you know, how present is a song like happy 
to you and just your daily philosophy and how you live life and how you parent and how you really just face challenges? Well, yeah, like it's a record about myself, you know, um, you know, that was me, you know, um, being in that position and I, you know, just, you know, you know, feeling that comfort of life, you know, where I'm like, oh, shoot, I'm playing the game of life. And, you know, I went to college, I got a job, you know, I'm not in the streets, you know, I'm doing music at my leisure, you know, but I'm still making an impact, but, I, but I'm but i really comfortable with this job. And uh, I realized, like, my happiness was being impacted i wouldn't you know i don't i don't deal with any mental issues or depression but i realized like my core happiness was like wait you know what the hell am i gonna do this forever like you know or am i gonna be happy you know i i, I would you know at my job people would get like plaques for being at the job for like 10 years or like 20 years or like 30 years and i would cringe like i would be like whoa i wouldn't want any fucking body to know and I worked for this company for 20 years like or 10 years you know what I mean it was always in my head like and maybe just before my 10 year mark I was laid off but I knew deep down I didn't want to I didn't want my name showing up in any of those emails to like show people how long I've been fucking trapped at this like job like I always thought it was like you know, people would be at the office celebrating 20 years or 25 years. And I would be like, man, that's fucking terrible that you've, like, given up 25 years of your life to, like, work at this company and you don't own it or you're not, like, a manager. You, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, are you really happy? Will this make you happy in the long run? And I watch people complain every day about their jobs. And, you know, now nah, it just became this thing, like, yo, you got to do things that make you happy at all times. Like, that's not even like a, it's not even a choice. It's not even a, it's a, what's the word am I looking for? It's like a, it's like a must. It's a, it's a, it's mandatory. Like, at this point, like, you have to, anything you do, if it, if it doesn't make you happy, you have to, like, not fuck with it. You know what I mean? You have to walk away from it because your happiness is like number one. You know what I mean? Like people or jobs or they stay in situations they're not happy with, whether it's a relationship or a friendship or a job or a musical opportunity, a writing opportunity, a journalistic, you know, opportunity. Uh, and they think the opportunity is worth something, but they get into the motion and they realize that they, you know, it's killing them. It's not making them happy. It's, it's, it's depressing them. It's, it's, it's pulling them further away from their dreams instead of pushing them towards them. And a lot of people get wrapped up in that shit, man. And I, I, I just, at this point in my life, man, uh, man, if it don't make me happy and it don't make me smile, like I don't want to deal with it. Like it's not even, it's not even a, it's not even a second thought that goes through my mind. I'll just be like, oh, nah, this ain't for me. I'm out. Or I'll just decline the opportunity. You know what I mean? Even, you know, the, the thought of working again actually, like, just turns my stomach because I realize, like, I'd be stepping back into a space that, um, 
that ain't meant for me. You know what I mean? So it's like, you know, why would I even do that? Like, why would I go to a place that's not meant for me? Um, and what am I going to think about every day when I'm walking through the doors of the job? Like, why the fuck am I here? You know, I don't want to even deal with that. That's a, That makes your day long, you know? So I'm living a life right now where I'm a musician full time, you know, um, and I'm happy. <laughs> I'm happy about that, you know, where I wake up and say, you know, aside from being an artist, I'm also like the lead engineer in Richmond, one of the lead engineers. I work with a lot of artists, so a lot of the hip-hop music um, that comes out of this city, um, I'm actually behind it um, in a major way. I'm either recording it, mixing it, mixing or mastering it, or featuring on it. So I'm, I have my hands in a lot of different projects, a lot working with a lot of different artists, but I'm just at a point now where, hey, when I wake up in the morning, you know, I wake up as Michael Millions and everything pertaining to my day is based on music. You know, somebody's going to call and say, hey, you know, we want to book you for this or book you for that or, hey, we need a feature for this or feature for that or someone needs to record, someone needs some, some mastering work, some engineering work. You know, I just live my life constantly through music now. So, and I'm happy. <laughs> and I'm like, it's... And it and it does come with its perks. You know, you do get your money. You do get you do get these things that you were afraid that you weren't gonna have, you know, based on you being conditioned to think, you know, going to a job is gonna make me rich or going to a job is gonna keep me straight. No, nah, man. You know, do it do what makes you happy and you'd be surprised how straight you are. You know, I mean, you'd really be surprised, you know, once you start living in your own path and your own truths, you really start to be surprised about, you know, how the universe will take care of you for real. You'll, you'll see, you know, you'll see more opportunities, more opportunities going up. So, yeah, to answer your question, yeah, it's definitely a daily reminder to... Be happy, do things that make you happy, be around people that make you happy, you know, and if anything else is off, you know, you remove yourself immediately from that situation and like, you know, focus on what makes you happy and put yourself in a better space. And I don't know, it's just a simple formula, but it works for me. <laughs> no, I, th I think that's awesome, man. So when you when you look at that and when you look at your day as being an artist, you know, I'm curious, like, what's your writing process like? Because that's really, you have the time and you have the space to really um, be surrounded by art, whether you're engineering or um, mm -hmm. working on your own. So so how do, how do Michael Million's songs come together? Actually, you know, it's crazy. Now, I'm always, there's always people around me, always people here in the studio. Um but when it comes down to me working on my stuff, it's normally not anyone around. You know, I'm in here, like, tracking out my own vocals. And, I, and maybe it's just because I'm finding that little me time space, you know, where there's no one around. It's quiet. It might be 2, 3 in the morning. And I'm like, you know, it's quiet. No one's here, you know. Maybe the I've always been fascinated with the idea of doing things in the dark and having them come to the light in a good way. Whereas, like, while you were sleeping, I was up recording, like, an EP, you know, worth of material. And, like, I wake up and send these records to my friends in the morning. And like, oh, when did you do this? Because all day I was at your house and you were working, like, with X amount of artists. And I thought when we left, you were shutting it down. But you had what? You actually stayed up and recorded all night, you know? You know, it's kind of one of those things. I get a kick out of that stuff, too. So it's like, 
disordered and doing things when people aren't around because it makes them think like, you know, it makes people like, oh, wow, you, you must be a machine, but really it's just my process. It's like, you know, I might, you know, roll me a little something, give me a little something to drink, nothing too crazy, and just kind of kick back. Get, uh, my brother is my, you know, primary producer, so he always has records for me on deck. And, um, you know, I get into my zone and I just write, you know. I don't particularly go into the process of thinking about what kind of song I'm going to make, you know. I go into it as how do I feel, like what do I feel, you know, and... Normally my songs are just, once I hear the record, the, the, the track, and I can, you know, if I hear the track, you know, I look for whether I can hear my voice on it. Once I can hear my voice on it, the record's done. It, you know, it's really just based on how I feel. So, I, you know, I think I just focus on the opening lines of pretty much most of my songs. It's really about the opening lines, the verses. I don't really worry about the hooks or anything. Everything just kind of flows from there, but it's really like the opening line kind of sets the tone for like the song. I think, you know, it's kind of, for me, that's kind of like the thing. It's like, once I have one line, it's like, yeah, 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 that's it. That's it. Keep going, keep painting. You know what I mean? And like, that's really the, I don't go into it and say, oh man, you know, this is how I feel. I'm going to make this type of song. I mean, I do, but it's not that intentional sometimes, you know? Right. No doubt. And I, I mean, I think too, hip hop was obviously rocked with just the untimely, un like terrible death of Nipsey Hussle. You know, how have you processed that, and how have you put that in perspective? Man, you know, this in all right. So talking to you has been like the last, you know, probably the freest my mind has been from the situation since it occurred. To be totally honest with you, you know, um, I think about Nipsey a lot, like not only from being a fan of Nipsey, but, you know, also relating to him, you know, in a way where on a, on a micro level of who he was, I know a lot of Nipsey, you know, um, to a lot of people in my community or in Richmond, I could be Nipsey, you know, to, to those people, you know, um, you know, just the work we do in the community or the work we do or the people that we touch, you know, we could be those people to those, we could be Nipsey to a lot of the people we grew up or, you know, live in our community. Um, and just to see him come up in music like the way he did, you know, I always looked at him as a peer. You know, I look at folks like Kendrick, Cole, Nipsey, Mac Miller, um, Big Crit, um, Smoke Dizza, just so many dudes from the currency ways. Um, these are people that we share stages with coming up. So, like, we're all, like, around the same ages, you know. So it's like, you know, it hits a little bit harder when you're like, you know, you're seeing people that have come up in the same, um, virtually, essentially some of the same spaces you've been in and, you know, been able to like be successful and, 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 and get that, get that off. You know, I mean, of course, you know, we've seen Drake, you know, so the feeling of seeing people get there one end the game and get off, you know, we've been able to see it, but, you know, Nipsey, you know, definitely what he represented to, 
his community, what he represented in his music. Um, and a lot of people get stuck on the activism and the community stuff. And I'm not stuck on that. That was crazy. But, you know, the beautiful thing about Nipsey is that he always gave us good hip-hop music. Like, he gave us good music. Like, he never slouched. You could go listen to Bullets Ain't Got No Names, man, and go, I know exactly what you get it. And you could go listen to Bullets Ain't Got No Names and go listen to Victory Lap and know that you're listening to a particular artist, you know, that, that hasn't changed and, like, really stuck to his guns on, like, you know, what style, what he was going to bring to the game and why what he was doing was so special. And, I, I you know, that's the part where I'm just like, man, I, you know, we don't have those type of examples. Everybody will want to tell you, you should rap like this, or you should do this for the trend. But, like, nah, yo, you get an artist that sticks to they, what they believe in, you know, and, and, and see them go as far as they did and then, you know, have their life cut short by just, you know, some unfortunate shit man it's just like it's heavy man it's definitely heavy because you know i think about interactions i have you know um i meet strangers all the time i mean this is someone he knew but i think about like i'm always in contact with people i mean they may at some days it might be like 15 20 people at my crib just parlaying like we're just chilling like or like i'm in the street and you know I'm, you know I might be with the homies. I mean, meet some, see some people I know, but it's a high probability that I'm gonna go into a location that I'm gonna be approached by somebody that I don't know. You know, it's a, it's fifty fifty. Like the, the, you know, if I leave my house right now and I go to the corner store, it's a fifty 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 chance that someone in that corner store is gonna say, I mean, either know them already or somebody's gonna say, Yo, ain't you right? You know, it's it's if I go to dinner, or if I go to lunch, or if I go shopping, these are fifty fifty and count fifty fifty chances where, you know, there's a person that you you might know them, they might just walk, they might not know you, might walk past you, or they might muster up the courage and say, "Hey, it's your Mike," and you're just hoping to God that that, that you're gonna be you're gonna say yes, and they're gonna greet you with open arms, you know, or. You never know if it could be crazy. Like, yo, ain't you Mike? And you're like, yeah. And they're like, run your shit. You know, they, you know what I mean? You never know. It could, it could go down at any moment. You just never know. But the average person doesn't deal with that type of encounter in their own city. Like, you know, most people could walk out to go, go leave their house, go to the Target and come right home and not even talk to anybody at all, you know? Me, I I can't go anywhere, you know, in my city and not and expect that not to happen. You know what I mean? So it's like it's just one of those things where it's like you don't know those encounters and it makes you think, you know, when you think of Nipsey, you think about like, damn man, I've had so many encounters with so many different kinds of people. What you know, thank God I hadn't run into anybody that just wanted to do me in yet. Or maybe you, maybe I have, you know, and maybe I just ain't rubbed them the wrong way to make them want to try something when they saw me. You know, you never know. So the Dipsy thing, man, definitely weighs heavy. You know, I, I saw Pocket Big. I was here, you know what I mean? I was a, a teenager, a young teenager when Pocket Big died. 
you know, and I knew the effects of that. Like, I, I was just like, wow, 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 you know. And, you know, any violence, man, any violence, anytime somebody dies violently, man, you, you feel it in a certain way because it's scary, man. You know, you never know. You know, it's a scary thing, man. It's very scary, yeah. Yeah, man. So, you know, Annette was doing a lot. I just, shit. I, would, I just want to got my hair braided just like them. I have box braids. I took those out, man. I got I got four braids to the back, man. Yeah, man. So, yeah, it's definitely hit me hard for sure. It's definitely hit me hard. <laughs> no doubt. And, I mean, I feel like, too, I've seen so many, you know, artists writing on whether Facebook or Twitter just about how much, you know, not just the music, but just the, the impact he made as a, as a human, and and how impactful that was. And whether whether they knew him or they just knew of him and were a fan, I mean, mm-hmm. it, it just it's incredible to see how many lives he touched and how how many people have so many different positive things to say about him. Yeah, I mean, and that's all you want, you know. That's all. I mean, I think you know. I think about how unfortunate his passing was. But then I think about, you know, if you got to pass away, you know, at least at least go out and lead the people. You know, when you go out, people have nothing but beautiful things to say about you. You know, that that's that's really the, the, the key. You know what I mean? In life, you know, when you're gone, make sure whatever you left here, you know, was was worth it. You know, make it make sure, that, you know, it's going to be painful when you go, but. You know, in time, people are going to be able to smile and say, yo, you came here and you left here and you you made sure people knew you were here, you know? And um, it's so, you know, as sad as it is, I, I'm like, you know, man, at least my guy went out at the top of his game, you know? He went out, you know, and, you know, he went out in his prime too soon, but he went out and left us with these gems, you know, and the music and his activism um, and his moves um, that he's been making. I know all of us, um, you know, have been inspired by his moves. I don't even, I don't even, I turn down record deals. I don't even want record deals. I don't even want companies to come with me, talk to me about deals. If anything, I want partnerships now. You know, I've even changed my language due to like Nipsey Hustle because it's like, you know, yo, let's 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 start understanding what we're worth, and then having the appropriate sit downs with these companies, you know, and working out partnerships versus deals. You know, let's 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 do these things at a bigger level under our own names and under our own merit, um, versus having these like big ass companies as liaisons and then having them take their fees and nah, man, like we could do this ourselves, and I think. Um, Nissy definitely helped Brent instill and put that, you know, bring that to the light. Like, you know, we have Master P, but, you know, it was also a different climate. So you, you got somebody like Nipsey Hussle that's doing the Master P thing the right way in today's times, you know. You know, it's definitely like, man, this is a heavy one. This is probably the, you know, def- and I'm sure people have said this, but, like, definitely one of the heaviest losses since big and pop as far as like a violent hip-hop death you know and and what they meant to the culture and what they meant to like people at a deeper level beyond the music you know 
So, yeah, I'm definitely impacted. It just, you know, like I said, because I see Nipsey Hussle and all of the homies, you know what I mean? Every one of my musical homies from around the country and here, I know, you know, I know what we're doing. So I know that we're all, you know, if we all had the same resources, we'd be doing Nipsey Hussle type things in our city, which we are, but we do them on a smaller scale with the resources we have. So, you know, I know people that are just like him. I, I feel just like him. You know what I mean? Like for my city, I feel like I, you know, I get that type of respect here. You know, I feel like, you know, I, I get that, you know, we get that love and we can expand upon that, you know, from, from where we from to like do good things for our city and, help get these monuments down, help get our, you know, children in, like, better school program, school programming, helping out, like, the, 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 the kids that are falling between the cracks here. Like, I think we all are, like, aware of, like, all of that as artists and, you know, our hand and being able to have a, you know, to have a hand in lifting that up. So, man, you know, I, I hope it just causes, you know, I hope it's, you know, his passing just inspires everyone from all walks of life to like you know look at the bigger picture like take what you got you know and if you can help some other people with it you know and hopefully keep that going you know and and then you know always make dope music and uh, you know that's that that's what i'm getting from nippy nips nip hustle is yo stick to your guns on the, on the music you like to make don't change it stay in your lane find your loyal fans and treat your loyal fans very good and you'll have a good career so i'm definitely planning on following his model for as long as i can for sure no doubt and i i mean i think based on the music you make too something that i find really interesting is how you know and i talked about this with a couple other artists in interviews but you know we, we, if, if we rewind back to like the early 2000s you know artists were making so many different sounds on one project whether it's their collab with a west coast artist my west coast song my, my my dance song my club song my party song my get high song my soulful song whatever it was and wow you just yeah you just framed out an album of the 2000s you know right <laughs> And, that was and, the framework. <laughs> and, and and what was so crazy about back in the day, you know, like an album comes out and, you know, you read the track listing and you can really predict what each song is going to sound like. And absolutely, you know, like and, you know, there's some great songs that came from that era. But at the same time, I feel like artists were trying to be everything to everybody and then you look at the success rate and who's still relevant today from that time period and it's almost like by trying to be everything to everybody they became nothing to everybody you become nothing yeah and you, you, you nailed it you nailed it man you nailed it by trying to do all of that what did they learn nothing they didn't even you know they they, they got to a point where they realized I still haven't found who I was I haven't given the public, I haven't told my story. I was just trying to piece together this album that everybody, that would would appeal to everybody. I remember we would be working on music back in the day and everybody would be like, I remember radio, he would be like, yo, man, I got to have this record for the club. I got to put a record for the club on the album. And I would be like, why do you focus on that, man? We don't, you know, but I realized radio was going to the clubs. I wasn't going to the clubs, but he was. And, you know, he really wanted to make, he, 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 he would stay 
making those records. Even to date, he's still, you know, he'll still put out one of those type of records. But, you know, I remember, you know, we used to structure stuff just like that. And I think, you know, amongst, you know, some of my friends, I was probably the first one um, to kind of just peel back from that, you know, and say, you know, I'm about to make this, you know, um, and roll with it. You know, I'm going to just, you know, I was tired of, at the label I was at, I was kind of like, you know, I wanted more creative freedom, you know, as far as like, I wanted to dive into some bigger subjects, some deeper subjects that I thought would resonate with people more, but I wasn't sure how people would take to that because they were so used to listening to a certain type of music. But, you know, once I was able to break away and once I found out that people actually enjoyed it, I, it was too easy to stay there. Now, my last record that I actually went in and was like, wow, this is going to be like a, a, a single, uh, uh, something we could put out was like Golds on the Bottom. And that was on Ghost of $20 Bills. But for the most part, I don't, I go in the studio and write what I feel. I don't really go in there and, you know, map out, oh, we're going to do this. We're, nah, man, we just go and make that music the way it feels. <laughs> no doubt. And, you know, to end the, the interview on a positive note, too, and just a happy note, you know, I'd love to hear you talk about your philosophy as a father because you mentioned your daughter, you know. What's Michael Millions like as a dad? Oh, man, I'm cool. I'm probably, I'm cool. You know, I'm like, I don't know. You know what I mean? I think, um, I don't know. I'm real chill. I hang out with my daughter a lot. Um, you know, she's 12 now. And, you know, I got to watch her grow up closely because while I was working a job, I was also allowed to work from home. So that made it easy for me to watch her every day. So I was like a stay-at-home guy. I'm still a stay-at-home dad, like, even now. Like, after having that experience working, I still work out of my space. So, I, you know, I have a really, really close relationship with my daughter. I have a lot of fun with her. I pick, I pick with her a lot, and, like, you know, I, I joke with her a lot. We wrestle and stuff. You know, we have, like, a really fun relationship. You know, I, I always, when I'm watching, like, Discovery Channel and I'm, like, looking at, like, animals in the wild care for their like other animals and then everybody's like all playful and stuff that's kind of how my my thing is it's like yo you know you know my house is the jungle and i play you know i just you know i play with the kids and like not the kids but my kids you know she's cool she grew up around music and i think for her you know she she gets to grow up you know as a child with a with her father as a musician so i don't know what what kind of cool points that gives her in her life, you know, as far as her vantage points. But, like, you know, I don't think a lot of kids going to school can say, you know, my dad's an artist, you know. A good one, you know. Like, if things happen for me, you know, she's able to, like, talk to her friends about it and say, you know, oh, yeah, you know, my dad does something for Vice. You know, if, you know, if her friends are talking about Viceland or um, different little things. And she's like, you know, my dad does that type of stuff too. Or like these people were here at the house. And, you know, she's able to share those experiences. Or a year ago now, uh, they put a mirror of me downtown. You know, it's things like that where, you know, she gets to take that and she sees me actively in my career doing things that, you know, she looks on her social media 
or, you know, through her lenses that she gets to see, hey, that's pretty cool. My dad gets to do this stuff. Or my dad goes on tour. You know, I've been on uh, three tours now. And and we just wrapped up one in February, but it's like a thing, you know. She, you know, she goes and you know she, I, I, you know, she tells her friends and stuff. So, you know, I'm a cool dad. I try to like be cool, you know, be cool for my kid and like do things so that you know when she looks up at her dad, she she's always like, wow, you know, I have a good dad. He's a good dad and he's a cool dad. You know, I just. I don't know why that's so important to me, but I, I just want my daughter to be like, you know, my dad's cool. You know, he, he lives a good life. You know, he he's chill, you know, and he does music and a lot of people love him. You know, I, I want her to always know that about, you know, so, yeah. But other than that, yeah, I'm a real chill dad, man. I'm a, I'm a cool dad. That's about it. <laughs> no doubt, man. So, cool so what should we be looking for next from Michael Millions? You know, what do you got on deck for us? Uh, next tour should be rolling. I mean, actually, we're going to be, I think the dates for our next tour are coming up soon. Um, I don't have the full details on that, but I think they, I think those dates drop soon. So more touring, more shows. Um, I'm working on a new album as we speak. Um, but I don't have any, uh, current plans of when I'm going to release that, um, at this time, I mean, it's not done. I'm just taking my time to roll it. Um, but the beautiful part is I was able, I put out Hard to Be King, and it's been an album that, you know, people discover every day, and it resonates with people every day, you know, so it's giving me a lot of dope time to, like, think about what it is I want to say to people next, um, artfully, what, what, what direction I want to take in you know, what voids do I want to fill in my music that aren't, you know, I haven't been able to fulfill. Um, so, yeah, I'm working on a bunch of new music. Um, I got some collaborative projects that I finished up that um, we're just waiting on the go button. So I think people will be, in, you know, in the coming months, people will be surprised at, like, the output um, that, I'll, that I'll be putting out as far as, like, content. I usually try to keep my releases kind of staggered out. You know, I kind of, I'm not, I, I'm a high value recorder, but I don't release, a, I don't release music unless I'm like, you know, I'm feeling really, really good about the project. And um, it takes me a while to release because I, I set up my rollouts and things like that. But I think in the coming months and years, of course, but in the coming months, people will be like, wow, he did a tape with this person, did a tape with this person, did a tape with this person, got new music out. So it's kind of like I got a lot of music that is slated to come out. So that's next. And, of course, developing new content, um, you know, to just keep people and keep listeners entertained. So more touring, more music, more content, and... You know, I'm going to definitely just try to enjoy life in the, in the slithers of all of that. So um, that's that's pretty much next, man. I, I, I don't have any, like, fireworks to say, yeah, man, this is going to happen. But, yeah, I'm going to just keep being the musician I am. And, you know, hopefully people, more and more people catch on to that. And, you know, we just grow what we're doing here. Uh, AGM, Purple Republic, these brands are Southpaw Battle Coalition, Rap Elite. You know, hopefully, the you know we're able to put these platforms in bigger places to, you know, inspire more artists to do some of the things that we're doing. So, um, 
Yeah, man, that's what's next. <laughs> yeah. Still feel limitless, water with lemon juice. King, I've really seen it. The mother ones fear the truth. My chick might be a Leah, mixed with Snilate. My kicks might be a Dita. I live off a vibration. Just press record, dog, on everything I'm saying. I let you the police. My sound like the crime raging. My dope is out of control. The fake niggas out of your foe. Eat with the ones you got to wit when you's out in the cold. Sun be blessing my soul. Swear be spiritual, God. Bless material. Promise to always stay lyrical. Purple mind, but a. The tribe's imperial, gun missing the cereal from the home of the generals. My city got losers with statues, so shooters won't hesitate to get at you. Sharp shooting, they puncture without the act coop. Pillin' off in the act coop. Now these niggas can find me, nigga. Let a label come sign a nigga, decline the whispers.